Wow, well, good morning, everyone. You can grab a seat. Good to see you all. <laughs> this feels a little bit like a time warp, doesn't it? Wow, it's, uh, it's hard to believe we're back in this room together. I say back for many of you, it's back in this room. Uh, and it may feel like a little bit like a, a homecoming. Someone said that to me this morning. But for others of you, this place is all new. You've never been here before, whether this is your very first time here or you joined us online during the pandemic or you came uh, through the merger from Emmanuel Church, which we just had a couple meetings down in East Vancouver before the pandemic hit. Um, a lot has changed, and so I recognize this may all be new for you too. Uh, so if that's you, welcome. Welcome to this space. Um, we're, we are uh, glad to have you here. And I want to thank you for coming today. Thank you for coming downtown, uh, for finding your ways, finding the orange signs, navigating all the way here. Uh, there's been a lot of changes we keep going through, so thank you for showing up and coming to worship with us together. It's a joy. And I'm really glad to see that uh, even after all these months, you're still committed to leaving the front two rows wide open. <laughs> it's really great. If for some reason, you didn't do that at the NAS. Like, people sit up closer, but like, the hole is here. You left it perfectly, the triangle, so man. Maybe we can get over that. I would love that. But yeah, all the way back there, hello, I see you. Yes. <laughs> I'm not that scary, I promise. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot has changed. And um, the, uh, sorry, I just looked at the screen because isn't this screen awesome? It's just like so vivid. I, I got to pick out pictures for sermon slides again, and it was, I thought, there it is. It just looks so vivid. I love it. Uh, and I got that one just because it was bright and fun looking. Um, just to say a lot has changed. The world around us has changed a lot, hasn't it? And so fast, it's hard for us to keep up with all that's been going on. Uh, we're forced to adapt, to be adaptable again and again and again. It's, it's exhausting. Uh, many things have changed from the pandemic. It's not over. More will change, um, we, as we all know. And I, I hope uh, you're with me in realizing that we're never going back to normal before this. This is a brave new world we are in. Um, putting those, yeah, those hopes aside is important. But uh, I want to talk about something else today, uh, not necessarily the change, um, but the opposite. Because as we gather here as God's people, as we gather together as God's people in any time and place to open his word, to celebrate at the table, to pray together, I want you to remember that the most important things in life don't change. They don't. The most important things in life don't change. Church, there is a God. There is a God who is good and who created all of this, who holds all of it, who holds you with care. God loves you and he wants you to know him. He sent his son named Jesus to live a human life and to die a human death. A death died for all of the evil and all of the brokenness and the sin in the world that deserves to be punished. Jesus, God's son, died for that. And he's, he offers you forgiveness and healing and a way to walk into everlasting life today. And Jesus called this everlasting life the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus and the kingdom of God are the most important things, period. And they don't change. And they won't change, even when everything else around us does and will. Jesus and the kingdom, or maybe I should say Jesus and his kingdom, because he's the king. 
These are my anchors. These are what gets me through all the change and, and um, adaptions that have gone through. They, they, they hold me through. Jesus holds me fast through the change, and the kingdom gives me a grid to understand the world when nothing else seems to make sense. The kingdom of God is the grid that I use in a very confusing world. And really, when we look way back to the story that, that Bob just read, there was nothing else for Peter and his disciples either. A lot had changed in their lives, too, on that day at the fireside. But there's nothing else for them either. Jesus and the kingdom. Man, I could just end right here. That was a good sermon, yeah? <laughs> will you pray with me? I won't, I won't stop just yet. Let's pray together. Living God, will you come this morning and speak to your people? Will you speak to us through your word? We thank you for John and the gospel that he wrote and the story of his good friend Peter that we got to hear today, and we pray that you will speak life into us through it. We pray all this in your name, Holy Spirit, Father and Son. Amen. Well, I just gave you the big story and a little snapshot, but this story that we call the gospel takes root in people's lives and communities and specific places and times all over the world, and it has for years, for generations, for millennia, People with names and jobs and dreams and hopes and failures and sicknesses, all of it. The gospel is amazing because it's a story that can take root in any time, in any place, and in, in any and every story told throughout human history. A guy named Andrew Walls called this the indigenizing principle of the gospel, that it can settle down in any culture and make home there in any human heart without steamrolling it. And we, uh, this church, this congregation, we are called St. Peter's Fireside. This is the namesake of our church, this story we just read, Peter's Fireside Story. And it's really a story about Jesus entering into Peter's life, one person, and bringing him into the kingdom of God. And this story changed Peter's life forever. Jesus' friendship and his love for Peter shapes him, and Peter begins to see the world in a whole new way through the lens of Jesus and the kingdom. In fact, Jesus and the kingdom become his true north for living. A guy named Bill George is a Harvard Business School professor, and he wrote a book called that, True, true North, where he, in, he interviews 125 of today's top kind of business leaders across industries, and he explores how all of these leaders found their passion to lead from their life story. Howard Schultz is one of these. Does anyone know who he is? No, he, he founded something that many of you drank probably this morning. Starbucks, that's right. He founded Starbucks. And his purpose, he talks about his true north, whatever you think about Starbucks, listen to his story, uh, in founding this company came out of his childhood. His dad uh, had a, suffered a severe injury uh, in a work-related accident when he was young. And th at this time, uh, the family lost medical benefits. The country where they lived, that was not given. No workers' comp existed. And his father, from this point forward, was, uh, he couldn't work. And he was a broken man. The family suffered for years because he couldn't work. So Schultz starts Starbucks when he grows up with this story as his true north, as his passion. He insisted on creating a company where workers would be valued and have health coverage even for part-time work, which was not normal at all in the time in the United States. Peter's story, Peter from back in John's gospel, 
today shows us the backstory of his true north. It shows us how the gospel became personal and tangible to him through things, very simple things, very ordinary things, a fireside and fish. And by the end of this sermon, I think you may actually be wondering why this church isn't called St. Peter's Fish, because fish really matter in the story, I'm telling you, but it doesn't sound quite as cool for a church name. I realized that, so Alistair went with Fireside. It's a little cooler. You can make little images that look like flames and all the rest. He spent a lot of time on that little, like, curly cue thing, I assure you. So that's what we're going to look at today, the Fireside story. So as we do, I want you to ask God. You can ask him now. How does Peter's Fireside speak to my story? How does Peter's Fireside speak to my life, to my true north? Maybe think about what that is for you. What is your guiding true north in life? Well, Jesus, Jesus is a fascinating character. No matter what you think of him, if you read the Gospels, he's fascinating. He's intriguing. Uh, I read a prayer this week that gave words to something that I thought characterizes Jesus really well. Uh, it says this, Lord, grant me a sense of humor that adds perspective to compassion. Well, in the Gospels, we see Jesus as a deeply compassionate person, but he brings a perspective as well to all these situations that if we read closely, reveal these moments where he must, he has to have a twinkle in his eye at times, a divine humor that reveals that God's heart of joy overflowing from his son, Jesus. Jesus has a humor that adds perspective to his compassion. Let me show you in this story. Peter's story, his backstory, what we know about him in the New Testament, starts in Luke chapter 5. And it's important to look back, a little bit farther back, because God is always working in our stories well before we realize it. In Luke 5, Jesus calls Peter to follow him with one of these twinkle-in-his-eye moments. He was by the Sea of Galilee. Three fishermen, Peter, James, and John, the brothers, were washing their nets. Jesus borrowed their boat that afternoon to sit in and preach uh, to a crowd on the shore. And when he was done, he looked over at Simon and he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. We know this story so well. Don't miss that it's pretty funny. I mean, Simon and his, and his friends, James and John, they've caught nothing all night. They've been out fishing all night. And now Jesus, in his divine power, turns to them and says, try again. See what happens. Just try again. And when they do, they get so many fish that their boats almost sink. They almost sink. I mean, everyone on the shore is watching that Jesus has just been preach, preaching to. They just heard Jesus teach about the kingdom of God. Maybe he'd been preaching about the abundance of God or maybe about God's overflowing goodness and that it can't be caught. I don't know. Uh, maybe he just used an illustration about fish. I'm not sure. I like to dream in these ways sometimes. But it's almost as if Jesus looks back and looks to Peter and everyone else and says, watch this. I'll show you what abundance looks like. 
I mean, can you imagine? Peter, James, and John, they have to be laughing at the absurdity of it all, hauling in this massive catch of fish. Now, I love Oreos. Anyone else love Oreos? They're amazing. Yes, thank you. They're delicious. And I have since I was a kid. I've always loved Oreos. Uh, my kids now love Oreos because of that. Well, not just probably more because they're delicious, but... Most people who are close to me know that I love Oreos. A few years ago, I sat down at my desk in our office. I opened up the drawer to pull out a pen, and inside of it, neatly stacked in rows, were hundreds and hundreds of Oreos. I mean, so many Oreos. Alistair, my good friend, was of course behind all this, and all we could do was just laugh at the absurdity of it all. I mean, you can't eat that many Oreos. It was sad that some of them actually went bad. I didn't know what to do. I know, you're crying as well inside. But what can you do with that many Oreos? I did my best. But when Peter had his nets breaking with fish, his response was of shock. I imagine laughter as well and awe. He cries out, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus' response, follow me. Follow me, Peter, and I will make you a fisher of people. And as he begins his journey as Jesus' apprentice, this was his last moment as a fisherman by trade. And it's now seared into his memory a frustrating night of long work and an unforgettable practical joke from his new friend filled with this love that only a friend can offer, that changed his life forever. Now fast forward with me to the darkest night of Peter's life. Jesus, his friend, is on trial for his life, and Peter denies not knowing him, not once, but three times. John, his friend who was fishing with Peter that day, tells the story in his gospel. John points out that all of this took place while Peter was warming himself Yes, by a charcoal fire. Peter realizes his betrayal right afterwards. He leaves the fire. He runs and weeps, alone in his failure, as his friend Jesus heads to his death on a Roman cross. I mean, it's hard to imagine the shame, the embarrassment, the grief that fills Peter at this fireside. Yet, after the resurrection... Not long after that moment, just a few days later, we have the story from John chapter 21 that we read this morning. And the post-resurrection accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, uh, they're fascinating because uh, people recognize Jesus, they can tell it's him, but they don't always immediately recognize it's him. It's as if, it's as if he has a way to kind of hide his identity or kind of look a little different uh, somehow. And what we see in these resurrection accounts is that Jesus reveals himself to people in just the way they need to receive it. All these stories are different. Mary Magdalene, she comes to the tomb looking for Jesus, and she finds him, but she thinks he's a gardener at first. She doesn't know who he is until Jesus looks directly at her and speaks her name, Mary. And then she sees. Mary needed to hear her name. She needed to hear her true name spoken to her by God. Two unnamed apostles were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They think Jesus is just a curious traveler. Again, they don't recognize him. They think he's just a guy shooting the breeze with them about current events. 
They don't know who he is. Until they sit down at the end of the day, around a table, they invite him to dinner, and they sit down at the end of the table, and Jesus takes bread and breaks it, and then they see. These two needed to eat with him again to see who Jesus was. But to Peter, to his best friend Peter, what does Peter need from Jesus? Well, Peter needs another practical joke, and breakfast as well, and a charcoal fire. Let me go back to the story. They're out at the lake again, John chapter 21. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, the two guys with them the first time around, and two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. I don't know about you, but I see Peter in that moment leaping into the lake. Wrapping his cloak, leaping, he's crying. I think laughing too, though. Can you believe it? He's here. It's Jesus, and he got me with that fish thing again. My goodness. And then he gets to the shore, and he sees a charcoal fire lit. Jesus brings back these two moments in Peter's life of laughter and calling, of sin and failure. And Jesus recreates the catch of the fish and the fireside to show him that even in Peter's betrayal and Jesus' death could not separate him from the love of God that was pursuing Peter no matter what, that would take him over, that would chase him down no matter what. Jesus shows Peter that although a lot has changed in the last couple days for him, Can you hear me? Oh, hello. There it is. I thought it did, but I wasn't sure. I'll say that again because it's important. Think about this. By the time that Peter gets up 
to the charcoal fire. He's already had a joke played on him and breakfast served to him by the guy he just denied before he was crucified. Before any self-hate, before any shame can come into Peter's mind and heart, Jesus makes him smile. Jesus doesn't shame Peter. He doesn't ask, what are you, what, what, he doesn't ask him, what were you thinking? What were you doing after all of that we've been through? Really? What's wrong with you? He doesn't say that. No other words were needed. Just come have breakfast. Just come have breakfast. And friends, Jesus doesn't shame me. He doesn't shame you either. When you deny him with your thoughts or words or deeds, he doesn't say, what is wrong with you? What were you thinking? Are you crazy? No, Jesus doesn't shame you. That's not what he's like. He's carried a cross of shame. He's borne that shame. And he doesn't belittle. He doesn't look down. He doesn't bully with shame. When you've blown it, or you've been checked out for a while, or you're not sure where to start, Jesus says these simple words, come, come to me. Come and have breakfast. I'll cook it for you. Why don't you? I know you're hungry. I've made extra. That's what the character of our God is like. Jesus is present there with Peter. That hasn't changed. But the kingdom is there too, and it hasn't changed either. And Jesus gives him continual work to do. Peter, go proclaim the kingdom. And remember back to that first scene of the fish. That's the first job Peter ever gave Peter. Go, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, of people. And now that Peter has encountered grace in a whole new way, now that he's failed, he's blown it, and he sits humbly in front of Jesus across this fireside, Jesus doesn't take his vocation away either. He doesn't take that purpose away. He doesn't say, you lost your chance, you're done. Go back to fishing, you blew it, that's all you're good for. He doesn't say that either. Jesus takes that moment of failure He doesn't revoke the vocation, but he deepens it by his grace. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Jesus sends Peter out to share the good, the beautiful, the entirely true story of his resurrection. And think about it from Peter's point of view. He could be thinking, I betrayed him. I betrayed this guy, my friend. He has no reason to think I'm dependable or trustworthy or anything. And he still believes in me? He's now telling me to go take care of of his flock? When you fail, when you hit the wall, or when you languish in faith, when you want to give up, or when you do give up, Jesus doesn't revoke your vocation either. First thing he does is offer breakfast. Come to me. Come be with me. Just come and sit. If that's where you're at, take that to heart. If you don't know where to start, just come, come to Jesus and just say, hello. Just say, hi, I'm here. He just wants you to start there. Just come and meet with him. It doesn't matter where you're at. Just come and start there. But then he doesn't end there either. He offers to deepen your vocation, the work he's given you through and by grace. Through and by grace. When we encounter God's grace, that loves us when we, are, when we feel unlovable, when we feel like the last thing from lovable, you're released 
to live out the gospel like you never have been able to before because you know it's Jesus who works powerfully in you and through you and not yourself. That's what grace does. It frees us to be more deeply pursuing the vocation that God has given because it's not on your shoulders. It's on God's. Starting back in Lent 2020, you remember way back then? Lent 2020, it was just before the pandemic started. I was wrestling with God in a place that I often feel is a failure in my own story. I went on a walk. I was beginning this book, The Backyard Pilgrim, some of you may be familiar with, talking to Jesus, and uh, it jumped right at me, this nagging voice in my head, uh, this voice of doubt saying, God isn't going to meet you. When you think he's speaking to you, when you think he's guiding you, come on, you're just making things up. Wake up, that's not real. And then it got louder, it gets louder. It goes from there. You're a fraud. Who do you think you are? You think you can lead? And you doubt God can intervene in your own life? Give it up, come on, you're a joke. This is my voice of doubt that comes in. And I believe spiritual forces of evil use that against me. It speaks in moments of vulnerability when I, want, when, when I think Satan wants to undercut me. And in that place, that place uh, uh, in my own heart, that I feel that's a failure and denial of Jesus when I hit that. In the middle of that sense of darkness on that day, I felt Jesus there too. I felt him nudge me and say, Preston, I'm going to lead you through this place in your heart, through it, not around it, not out of it, but through it. It's important, and we need to walk through it together. And in his grace, in loving me, where my heart, my own heart, wants and sometimes is inclined to deny him, I had this sense that this voice of doubt that, that comes out and, and battles me, instead of crippling me as a pastor, as the fear says it will, could actually be a place of healing for myself and for others. Be a place where Jesus might want to heal my own heart, speak to it, and then, and then offer something to others as well from that place. Where we want to deny him, where we want to accuse and say, I don't know him, like Peter did at that fireside. These are the places Jesus wants to take and transform. These are the very places. We don't want to run from these places. We want to pay attention to them and see what Jesus might have to bring life there because they are the places he loves to work by his grace. So pay attention to these moments in your life. Don't miss what Jesus can do with them. Things change. Lots of things change, and they will. But again, I'll say it again, the most important things do not. Jesus, who was crucified, is both Lord and Christ, as Peter says in Acts chapter 2. And the kingdom of God, where Jesus is king, is living. It's alive and it's a reality in our world right now. And it will last unto the ages, beyond this time and place. Peter always knew his place in this story. He was grounded. He had the true north because Jesus helped him remember with a fireside and with fish. And it's a beautiful story. It's why, again, our church is named after it. These moments gave Peter, they helped ground Peter on the true north of his life. So again, let me ask you, 
What is your true north? Really, what is it that guides you, that motivates you, that you're chasing after? And also zooming out, what is it for our church, for our community? At this time and in this place, what is our true north? What's guiding us? What might God be calling us to be chasing after? Well, in answering that simple question, Jesus helps Peter with a short call, how he ends this conversation with Peter. Follow me. That's all he says. Follow me. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't worry about the other guys around you, he says to Peter. But you, you, and all of you, Jesus says, follow me. And leaning on Jesus and the kingdom to be your anchor through all of the mess in our world, to be the grid which helps us make sense of the world. Are you able to do that? You do it simply by following Jesus day after day. And again, is this, is this our true north as a church? I want us to keep asking that. We're going to go back into the Gospel of Luke this fall and in the coming weeks. I want us to just keep asking, what is our true north? What's guiding us? Is it Jesus in the kingdom and following him? I pray it is. I pray it is, because there's nothing else worth following. And if there's things that need to be let go and fall by the wayside, which there normally is, I pray that happens too, and I hope you'll join me in that. Because it's all that matters. Not comfort, not convenience, not pleasure, not success, but putting the cross of Christ in front of you, in front of us, feeling the weight of glory on our shoulders, walking forward by the unforced rhythms of grace, and following Jesus Christ into eternal life, that's the Christian life, the beginning and the end. It's the only path to eternal life. Our stories will look different, each one of us, but that's what it all comes down to. So will you pray with me now, church? Let's pray.